You're listening to. And you're listening to the Clubcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. And hey everyone, welcome to episode 157 of the Collabcast. It is Friday, February the 2nd, 2018. Oh, you've come to the 2018 train? Yes, it's okay. 2018 now. He said 2017 last week. We are, we is it are. February? It's February. It's February. Now. Yeah. Damn. We are kicking off the third year of the Collabcast with this episode. This is crazy. Actually, no, we're kicking off the fourth year. What? Yeah. Shut it's up. been three years. We've had three full years of podcasts. This is the fourth year, episode one of year four of the Collabcast. Oh, snap. My name is Marvin Yue. I'm Minji Chang. And we are your hosts for this weekly look at pop culture in Asian America. And this week, uh, we have a very special guest. Welcome back. Yeah, she's been traveling the world. Longtime listeners might remember we first talked to her before she left the States for this grand adventure she's been on. Clips away. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. We get to have you when you're like in town. Yeah, she's in town for because, two weeks yeah. uh, out of every like Year. couple of years now, I feel like. <laughs> well, yeah, no, this time is really short, but yeah, you guys just caught me. I'm super jet lagged, but excited to be here. <laughs> and she's got a cold brew in hand, so we're 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 getting the energy flowing. Clarissa is a journalist. You may have seen her writing in a lot of places. Vice.com, um, Huffington Post. No big deal. She's been um, really busy. That's why she's not in LA. Um, recently, she's been working on pieces about environmentalism, agriculture, and um, and food. Mm-hmm. Always food. Always food. <laughs> um, so welcome back to the show. Thank so you. So glad to have you. Um, how have you been? How does it feel to be back in the States? Um, everything's really big here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Marvin and I, we just got a, a sandwich and I was surprised at the sizes. And in Taiwan, <laughs> I was like, my friend was cooking us dinner and I was in charge of making the spring rolls. And once I made it, everyone's like, why are your spring rolls so big? And I was like, it's American style. So... <laughs> Readjusting to the sizes here. <laughs> That's true. I feel like it isn't the same with Korean food too. Like here is like a lot more. Oh, of course, yeah, and, and more beef, right? Totally. The <laughs> yeah. serving sizes are probably like double, and everything's more. Exp- I mean, beef in general is expensive, but you just get way smaller portions. And people, I don't know. We all inhale our food here. It's super <laughs> large, and so yes, yeah, America. <laughs> no, America. America. Welcome back to America. How has has is has the vibe is the vibe different now? Yeah, that that's what I want to know. Time. Is like, yeah. how's it been on the international front now that it, we've had the world that we live in now? Um, no, I mean I've only been back for two days, so I'm <laughs> mostly just like, was Taiwan a dream? Because I've spent the last four months there. <laughs> Think, yeah. So everything is still s- surreal. Um, on a news front. I don't know. I've sort of been out of it. Do you, do <laughs> so, you get treated? Well, when people are aware that you're an American, is there any inter- interesting conversations that come up? 
in the states. Well, it's or really, outside the states. Um, outside of the states, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> like, I'm especially sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. in the way that I talk. So. I mean, I'm from Southern California, so I say dude a lot. <laughs> and the Europeans think that's hilarious and they mm. think dude. I come out of a TV show. Dude, like surfer chick. But it's nice to come back here and talk the way I talk and not be made fun of. Or not made fun of, but people don't think I'm weird. It's refreshing. It is. <laughs> we accept I just, you. I can just dude talk. away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty surfer bro. Yeah, I can be pretty surfer. I use dude more than bro. I don't really use bro that much. I'm describing my character. Oh. <laughs> I'm more surfer bro. More than you, for sure. But I talk like one on occasion. Really? I always imagine you're like urban Oakland. like That too. It, it depends on where I am and who I'm with. <laughs> well, we're going to talk more with Clarissa about her travels and her experiences abroad. Um, after the break, or later on the show. Uh, but first, let's start off with our pop culture roundtable let's talk about what you've all been into lately um what you've been watching listening to reading um minji i feel like i know what you're gonna say because <laughs> there's know what I'm been say. one thing on your mind well i just i've been or should i say one thing on your car <laughs> on my playlist yes um no i'm still listening to the greatest showman soundtrack <laughs> Again, the movie we discussed this movie. I don't have you watched it? No. Okay. So there's controversy on the topic, which is PT Barnum, the guy who's created the circus extravaganza as we know it. He's a problematic figure. But despite that, I'm obsessed with the soundtrack. I mean, there's something to say about Oscar a buzz now. really good soundtrack, right? And the, yeah. the, the songs have been universally praised. I mean, it's the same as like um like you were listening to it, like I listened to Hamilton like a couple years ago. Yes. Right? See, and then I think I was not on the Hamilton train like everybody else. I would like to. I need mm. to explore that. So I will. Did you watch La La Land? Yes. Yeah. So I felt like the soundtrack was everything La La Land was not, <laughs> but praised to be. I was like, this is the real deal. Anyway. Yeah. Still listening to it. La La Land, another movie full of problematic themes and, <laughs> and depictions. True. Um, We're living that but trouble. yeah, I mean, it's it's not every year you get a non Disney cat earworm like soundtrack. Yeah. Right. Well, I just feel like the songs are very inspirational. So I hope that you'll listen to it. Okay. Um, Put that on the list. Yeah. yeah. I mean,. I went into the movie with no understanding or expectations. That's always a good thing. And now I feel bad that I've overhyped it for Clarissa. <laughs> she screwed. She's like, what is this? Clarissa, what have you been into? Um, Black Mirror. So I, it's one of those things that I can't watch by myself. Um, and I finally roped one of my friends in Taiwan to watch it with me. And it really messed up my brain. Wow. Season one or two. For a while. Um, it was sort of a Netflix thing. Just kind of I picked one then and he picked one. So it was everything. Uh-huh. Um, kind of a mix. I think we watched like six episodes or four That's episodes. That's a lot of Black in, Mirror in to a digest. Week. Yeah. Um, but for... Solid two days. I was convinced we live in a simulation. <laughs> Still, kind of am. <laughs> Are we real? What is the what's behind this curtain here? Well, I've only watched season one, and I what I've heard because I didn't get again because it was so intense. Mm-hmm. I was scared to go into season two, and I and then the feedback was that season two is not quite as good as season one. So I was like, maybe I should just stick with what I've seen. It's dark, yeah. yeah. I've heard a lot. So I haven't actually watched it myself, but um, it's basically "quote unquote" our version of the Twilight Zone, right? Yeah. Kind of like taking mm-hmm. science fiction, extrapolating, and they're they're taking topics that we're thinking about now in terms of like helicopter parents or um, even um, there's a there's a, there's one about voting, right? Like voting. Is that season or, one or two? 
The ones that I watched were like, it was really, really, it was very intense. They just, they go there in terms of um, child pornography. They go there with like just our collective judgment on people, how to punish people socially um, through like, do you, did you have one that like you really, I don't feel like these are spoilers because it's still like, even if you know the topic, it's still like a journey to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. um, There was one on modern dating, um, which is interesting because I was watching with a guy that I met on Tinder. And so we're watching (laughs) these characters like not swipe, but then they match. And then every relationship or every meetup has an expiration date. What? Oh. Um, I didn't really know that. I mean, he, now he's one of my good friends. But like at this <laughs> point when we were watching it, I didn't really know this guy that well. So it was awkward, but it was also like we're watching ourselves. Very meta. I mean, it, was, it was so meta. It's yeah. a good conversation piece. Because like, like, you can't watch that and not like, have that conversation right afterwards, right? I mean, no, we didn't have that conversation. Say, oh. No, you could actually have that <laughs> and not talk about it. I was just it. like, let's get ramen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I sh- I should watch it. I, I, it's on my, it's on my list of to watch. It's just so there's so many things to watch these days. Yeah, everywhere. I still need to catch up. They, they just um wrapped up season two of The Good Place last night, and I'm like five episodes behind. So I need to catch. You've up. You've been really that. good about keeping up with that. Personally, yeah. though, I want to spend the rest of this episode talking about Clarissa's Tinder date, and I want to know like <laughs> well, we're gonna talk about what happened. Date. Um, if she wants to talk about it later. Yeah, on. no, we can do this offline um, as well. I'm not. What's on my mind? Uh, so I'm gonna. This is gonna be a little cross promotion with my other podcast, books and boba. But we just finished reading our January book club pick, which was Pachinko, a novel by Min Jin Lee, and it's a novel about the Korean diaspora in Japan. So the book spans four generations, starting from um, the starting from the, the matriarch of the family um, living in um, Yeongdo, uh, which is an island off of Busan, and moving to Osaka, and then. How the how her family grows from there and ends with her her grandson. Um, Is that to like modern day? Nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Okay. And it's interesting. It's interesting depiction of like the immigrant struggle in a another country and how that mirrors America because um, in you know how in America Asian Americans are seen as like good immigrants who are like the modern minority blah 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 but then in Japan they're they're seen the same. People were seen as indolent, seen as lazy, and mooching out the system. Like they're essentially like lower class citizens there, and like discriminated against. And a lot of the um, the story is how that this family and the different members of the family learn to deal with this immigrant struggle in Japan. And it's super interesting. Yeah. I feel like I really like Minji. You should really read this. Yeah, um, I was. I brought it, it. Always comes to me with like you're gonna. Yeah, <laughs> I brought it to the office yesterday. And our, our office mate Christine snatched it up before he got there. Oh, is that what she was reading? Yeah. I was like, why are you reading a book? What are you doing? <laughs> it's like you are always on like eighty million emails. It's yeah. Crazy. So she 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 swiped it, but when she finishes it, I mean, she, she gets it to you. Okay, fine. But Pretty yeah, Christine. it's um. Reading and it's like a, it's a five hundred page book, but it goes fast. That's good. That's a yeah. sign of a good story. I don't know. Like I think, well, everybody at this table, especially when Clarissa came with your travel stories and mm-hmm. like your approach of everything through food, I constantly and through Marvin's other, you know, his other podcast books and Boba, I'm always constantly learning about. It's an endless discovery of all the things I don't know about Asia and Asian culture. Because it's funny to be in collaboration and be so, like, Asian-American identity-centric and then know nothing about, like, I feel like, I know, like, (laughs) 
Yeah, then, I um, mean, it's hard because we're conditioned to sort of forget it and assimilate into. Like, we're trying yes. so hard to make it into mainstream America that dedicating the time to learn about our heritage is like a whole other life that we have to commit to. Yeah, I yeah. mean, even from our own perspective, like American exceptionalism isn't like it's what we're based in. Like, we we see everything in terms of our American experience and right. our American perspective. Yeah. And it's it was interesting to see things from from a different like. Because it's easy to imagine, like, our families all landed here in America, but we could have very easily landed somewhere else. Mm, right. Know, and how life would have been different. And there's a character in the story, actually, it, later on in, like, the, the later portions of the book in the 80s, that is the one Korean-American character in the book. And she's totally Minji. Is she, I was going to yeah. say, is she me? <laughs> in what way, Marv? Oh, when we get there, you will know. Oh, dang it. <laughs> the suspense. Um, but, yeah. Um Let's move on to some headlines, some uh, recent news. It's still award season, so I feel like we should um, give some shout-out to recent um, awards. Um, first of all, being that Bruno Mars won the Grammys. Hey! He won the Grammys. He, he demolished the Grammys. Six? Six Grammys? Yeah, album of the Year, uh, Best R&B Album. Didn't he get like Album of the Year and Record of, Song the, of the Year, year. which is like, the same uh, thing? Best R&B Performance, um, Record of the Year. Yeah, he like won Best R&B what Song. What differentiates too. Album of the Year to Record of the Year? So here's, here's my thing, say. because like being part of collaboration, I've kind of mostly listened to <laughs> Asian American artists, independent, like, independent artists, um, but you couldn't escape Bruno Mars. Oh, hell no. My question to you is, did he deserve it? I feel like I can't answer that question because I haven't listened to the rest of like <laughs> the nominees. But in terms of who dominated airwaves and yeah. gave got a lot of airplay, for sure he dominated. I mean, I feel like every hour in the top 40 was like five Bruno Mars songs. Pretty much. Right? <laughs> Were you, able, were you able to escape Bruno Mars in Taiwan? in Taiwan? No, I've been very out of it. <laughs> <laughs> like I, was, I spent four, three weeks in the jungles of Taiwan with an indigenous tribe. and That's amazing. Figuring out what the top 40 songs were not necessarily a priority. <laughs> but you could also introduce, like, say, hey, this is... Well, <laughs> Let's the, not ruin the indigenous cultures of Taiwan with... It's not ruining American that, Marvin. Music. I'm trying to just share. This is, this is, a, this is an exchange of culture. Um, for me, I'm very proud of Bruno Mars because, to me, he embodies a lot of different things for me personally because a lot of people don't care about his background, where he comes from. But, yeah, he's I, a mixed child. Yeah. Yeah, Elvis impersonator. I love that everyone tries to claim him too. Just like how everyone tried to claim Jeremy Lin when he was like big, like China and Taiwan both try to claim him. I feel like, um, like Filipinos try to claim him, Asian Americans try to claim him, Latinos try to claim him, Puerto mm -hmm. Ricans. To a degree, they all can. Yeah. <laughs> I've never tried to claim him. I just like I like what he embodies. His music is very, very bold and is very positive and like it's fun. Like that's what he said in his acceptance speech. He's like, I made this whole thing just like give people a good time. I think sometimes when you we're such, we're in such a politically, you know, I don't even know what the word is. It's just it is what it is. But like to have some, he was a little bit of a breath of fresh air. I love that reason to dance. I love that he saw that there was this gap of no Michael Jackson and decided I will be that. Yeah, I want to be that for people for this generation. Yeah, right. Did you? So have you paid attention to any of the like the Times Up movement or the Me Too movement? Yeah, the Me Too. Um, it's spreading to Asia now. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? 
Yeah, I think China, there's a couple of um, Chinese feminists and activists who are starting um, to get on on that as well. And also in Korean corporate, like someone from like a big Korean corporation just came out. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, but so are the women in China who are doing that, are they they celebrities? Are they just... No, I think it's just this like, yeah, underground movement. Um, I know there's a lot of people in Shanghai who are sort of doing this. See, and that's what I like to... Okay, so from the Grammys... I didn't watch the Grammys. I don't have conventional, regular, traditional television. But like with Janelle Monae, I watched her speech. And so she, you know, some people are there. I know that there's murmurs of people getting sick of the whole Me Too thing. But I'm like, for me, I'm like, get used to it because this is just starting. But she took that moment to introduce Kesha. And she was saying like, this woman's been through a lot. And she was very like emphatic about, no, this is still a very relevant thing. And to me, like, People get there. There's some stupid tweet that went out like, oh, I wish the you know, when politics weren't part of music, like, why can't we just enjoy music? I was like, music's always been music has always been political. Art is art is political. Like artists making a statement, taking a stand is always going to be political. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah, I think once anything hits the public sphere, it's inherently political or it can be. (laughs) Right. And it's based on who's interpreting it, too. Like who's hearing what. I do agree with you that like. It's wrong to see this Me Too movement as like a like a, a temporary fad. It's like it's it's our new reality, right? Right, and I, I think a lot of people wish it was a fad because, however, reason like because they can't do certain things anymore, or people are like lamenting, oh, we can't be sexy anymore. Like that's not what the that's movement so is saying. The so movement is saying, saying, like, don't be bad, don't be a creep, don't be. I think it's a liberation yeah. of how like how we can be sexy and still respectful. That to yeah. me is like, yeah. yeah. And uh, as someone who just spent four months in Asia, I really hope it gains more traction over there because women traditionally there don't have as much of a voice and are more scared to speak out um, against or um, yeah, yeah in regards to these stories. Did you ever have those types of conversations like? Is that something that comes up? Um, with other Asian American women or Asian Western women um, in Taiwan, we had these conversations, but not with Taiwanese um, mm. people. Yeah, maybe there's like a gateway, something, something in there. Maybe, <laughs> maybe or maybe I just food. <laughs> maybe I just maybe. was not exposed to that many, you know, people. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, Indigenous tribes. It's like, <laughs> where is that going to come up? <laughs> but you never know. Yeah. Um. Speaking of Janelle Monet, did you guys catch the pictures from the Black Panther like red carpet? No, not yet. Uh, yeah, I actually saw that. They were. <laughs> She's amazing. ahead of me. <laughs> Here, let me. I'll pull it up for you, and we'll see Minji's um, live reactions to. Why is it like super epic? Am I gonna? Am I gonna it's melt into beautiful. my chair and and die? Um, our collaboration, Atlanta, our former executive director, she was Janelle Monet's cellist. Oh, so wow. shout out to Grace Shim. They got to tour, and it's just like really cool. <gasps> Queen, shut they up! All, literally, they all came in like they came. Yes, like, I want to wear my humbug on the red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so inspired. Yeah, so they all came I'm in be like extra. Ed- no, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the big things that. Um, that came out from Asian Twitter from this was I can't wait for the Crazy Rich Asians yes, red yeah. carpet that. and <laughs> how, what people will turn out in. Yeah, I hope we yeah. they do some like Chinese Dynasty flashbacks. I yeah. think a lot of people in terms of fashion, this is a weird segue, but they do like the cheap haul. But that was actually a Western influenced fashion choice. Yeah, 
Um, but when you think Chinese fashion, I think most people default to that robe um, in regards to China. But I would like to see, you know, throw it back to the Song Dynasty, yeah, Tang Dynasty. That's the um, the 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 dress with the stitching. On the okay. Side. Yeah, that's actually that, 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 that was westernized. That was fashion that was um, during the like. It was like nineteen. 19- I don't want to. I don't want to. Twenties. Yeah, 30s, yeah, in yeah. Um, Shanghai. Yeah, and it was because there were a lot of um, foreigners there, and they wanted. It was just to appeal to the Western crowd. So yeah. I am kind of against the cheapal in that respect. Well, honestly, as soon as you guys say that, like my brain just hot takes. Um, my brain automatically goes to Lucy Liu from Charlie's Angels yeah. doing the massage masseuse thing in that. That's like, why is that the first thing that comes to my brain when I think of that? <laughs> I, I did read about a Hong Fu uh, movement in China too. People were yeah. like, traditional Han oh for sure yeah and I hope people go to that and they're not stuck on on this one image of a dress (laughs) from a very specific period in time in only you know Shanghai Jiangsu province there's been some really really beautiful like Chinese fashion throughout the dynasties there's Mm -hmm. also been some really bad like anything from the Qing dynasty like that's like the, oh yeah yeah you're just wearing pajamas <laughs> yeah you're wearing pajamas and you, have a pon- and you have a ponytail yeah that's the entire aesthetic <laughs> I'm sorry I'm quiet I'm just still obsessing over the Black Panther photos it's okay dude Lupita Nyong'o oh my god I want to wear this <laughs> oh okay anyways um, oh my gosh she looks so regal finally one last thing um <laughs> Minji is still freaking out over the fashion. Um, the, and then just Josh Gad, and he's just like wearing a suit, and he's like, "What's up?" <laughs> um, Sundance wrapped up last week, um, and uh, Minette Louie put out these stats about the awards. Um, Ten out of twenty-eight, so thirty-six percent feature film awards went to Asians. Eleven, thirty-nine percent, eleven awards went to women, and four, forty um, percent of the total went to Asian women. And it's been lauded as one of the most diverse Sundances of record, uh, but there, there's been some backlash. So there was a um, IndieWire article talking about how um, this was the most diverse Sundance, but the least in action in terms of acquisitions. And some people, uh, some of the distributors are blaming on the diversity. So this was, came to me through um, our friend, super producer Nina Yang Mongiovi. Um, the article quotes a anonymous distributor after watching Blind Spotting. I don't know who this movie is for. So uh, it's definitely one of those two steps forwards, one steps back type of I'm not saying anything because I'm just <laughs> making my stink face. But it, I, I, th- I do think it's great that even if it's playing lip service or going with trends, that big institutions like Sundance are taking diversity into account and hopefully like, like we said it, it becomes less of a trend or a fad but more of a here is the new reality right well i i think the optimist and the hopeful intentions that i want to put in the universe is i hope that it's not that the trend leads to a different perspective so that it leads to something genuine and authentic that they're not maybe initially they're looking for the trendy part but then at the end of the day they they come out of it with like genuine appreciation and that they're looking through different lens to like to appreciate something that they couldn't slash wouldn't before. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. I think somebody in there is going to definitely be like, well, you know what? Before I would have never thought twice. I wouldn't have gone out of my way to watch this. And now like I, I to whatever degree I, I get it more. I appreciate it more. Yeah. I would like to see more of this. That is my intention because I put things I like in the universe. Manifest. 
Um, yeah. Robin makes fun of me. I'm just like, it's she's okay. putting it in the universe. She's putting it in the universe. I try not to. I, I respect your belief in, if you can't be optimistic, then like you're just living in The despair. dumpster fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk more with Clarissa. And hey, everyone, thank you for listening to this episode, kicking off our fourth year of the Collabcast. Uh, the Collabcast, of course, is a part of Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment, discovering, developing, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the Asian American community in North America and beyond. For more information about Collaboration and our programs, please check out our website at www.collaboration.org. The Collabcast is also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices from our community. If you like listening to the Collabcast, you'll also like our fellow Potluck podcasts, including Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, a podcast about the good and bad about the American Muslim female experience. Um, it is a monthly podcast hosted by writer and activist Taz Ahmed and comedian Zara Nurbash. Check out their latest episode where Taz recounts her trip to Vegas to go see the new Asian American dancer in the Vegas Magic Mike show. Um, you can catch Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com. And don't forget to subscribe to your favorite ones. And that's all I have for this break. Uh, thanks again for listening um, to our conversation with Clarissa. Um, let's get back to the show. And welcome back to the Collabcast, episode 157. Uh, we are here ringing in the new, the fourth year. Our senior year. Our senior year, senior year yes, of the Collabcast <laughs> with our friend Clarissa Way, who has come back to join us. Uh, um, straight out of the jungle, yeah, Taiwan. S- straight hey. from <laughs> Asia. Um, so we last saw each other during the winter when I was back for mm-hmm. Taiwan. We had our, our traditional, Clarissa and I have a new tradition now, which is, Watching Star Wars in Taiwan. It's only yeah. two times, but two but times a tradition. Makes a tradition. <laughs> <laughs> it's a baby tradition. <laughs> we'll work on it. Does it feel different? I'm curious because, like, when I've traveled to Asia or Europe or wherever to to consume American media when I'm abroad. Well, actually, it's, really it's fascinating. just much more comfortable there because in Taipei, it's like arranged seating. <laughs> Um, the food the options. Food I was better. freaking out about the food. What was that? They had like boba or yeah, something. Yeah, that boba. They had like um, bowels. It's and... just comfortable. <laughs> nice. Know? So you yeah. get the best of all the worlds. Oh yeah. Does it does it transport you to like appreciating American culture more, or is it kind of like this different lens of like because you're you know you're you're in a completely different setting? Do you step back and you're like. God, we're so extra. We're so aggressive. What I, I'm just curious, like how it is, because I don't go abroad enough. I travel a lot, yeah. but it's all domestic. I don't know. Taipei really feels like another extension of Los Angeles. Okay, um, see, I haven't been there, and I remember like sort of coming out of that movie theater with Marvin and my other friend Nate, and forgetting that I was in Taiwan. Yeah, we were amongst a lot of English speaking people. Yeah, okay, like, like native English speakers. Yeah, <laughs> so. Yeah, Taipei. I mean, it's Star Wars, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, but if this was like in the middle of China, I probably would have freaked out. But this was <laughs> <laughs> this was very mild, very yeah. nice. So Clarissa's been um, since she's since she le- first left the states to go on her um, Asia excursion um, has become more or less an expat, right? 
living the expat life? Yeah. I mean, that term in itself is a little bit problematic, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then I can't call myself an immigrant, but yeah. anyways, yeah, sure. What are, what, are, what are the labels? The nomad life? No, expat's um, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, so like, like what's the last time you started off uh, on this journey looking to chronicle Chinese cuisine, collect mm-hmm. recipes, and it's evolved since then into traditional ways of living, living agriculture. So that's why you spend a lot of times in the indigenous Taiwan, I guess, like mm-hmm. the, the indigenous um, areas. And I'm very, you even, very curious to understand what that is. I, I've been following, so I, I follow your Twitter and Facebook because because we're friends. And you, <laughs> you, um, I guess you've been consulting with a, a shaman about your yeah. Um, your I guess so. Context, um, Austrian, all the Austronesians. Um, there's this they their culture not necessarily the their ancestors but their culture came out of Taiwan so mm. we're talking about like Solomon I- Islands Tahiti Hawaii originally it all came from Taiwan their Whoa. language yeah mm. so I don't think Taiwan gets enough credit in that respect <laughs> and there are 16 um, like officially recognized indigenous tribes in Taiwan but those divisions are only indicators of the linguistic differences within each tribe. There are actually, you know, dozens of subsets and they are not, you know, they don't hang out with each other. <laughs> um, so when I went to Taiwan this time around, I really just wanted to get to the core of what this island was. And I think a lot of Asian Americans here in California we, when you talk about Taiwan, it's just like Taiwan's its own country. It's not part of China. And that's as deep as the conversation goes. But if you really explore deep in it, it's by all accounts a tropical island with indigenous people who really know that island intimately. And they've largely been forgotten. And if people, most Taiwanese um, diaspora is, they're aware of the indigenous people, but they've only seen, you know, videos or like performances of them dancing and singing. And that's sort of the stereotype. But yeah, that, I feel like that's yeah. kind of the that's what when people think of Polynesia, that's also what they think about. They think oh, about exactly. I, mean, I don't think of and, indigenous people at all when I think yeah. of East Asia in, in any fashion. Yeah. To me, it's very like. Yeah. And I think if like Taiwan was not colonized, it would be Hawaii. Essentially, it is the Hawaii of East Asia. Hawaiians originally came again, not necessarily ancestrally, but their culture and their language mm-hmm. originated from Taiwan. So what did you do for the three weeks that you were there? So I volunteered at a farm slash restaurant um, at a tribe called Daromak um, in Taidong. And there's this woman called Lily, um, or her indigenous name is Elise. And what she's doing is sort of trying to preserve the um, indigenous foods of her particular tribe, which is only a population of a thousand and they were located far up in the mountains. And she's on this movement to decolonize her tribe. Mm. And that's what I really got into. Um, this movement of decolonizing themselves, not only from the Chinese influence mm-hmm. or the Taiwanese influence, if you will, but also from capitalism and the Western influence as well. And so what she's doing, like what I helped her do is we would go out in the forest and like forage for a bunch of stuff and then make food with it. Um, Blood sausages, um, chicken soup, dumplings, and it was all with stuff we got from the forest. Wow. That's incredible. Wait, so did you go as far as like, so when you do these food explorations, like are you sausage and chicken, like you are you killing these animals? Um, so for the restaurant, they don't, they like buy the animals, but um, her son's gal, like they will go hunting for wild boar. And I did a piece um, that's yet to be up, 
but um, on hunting um, in indigenous Taiwan. And it's this beautiful process wow. where the men will go up. And these trails are led by their elders. And sometimes they'll spend, you know, up to six days in the mountains. And they know the mountains intimately. And if, like, a bird, a certain type of bird sings, then they won't go that way. Or if they see a, a snake, a baibusa, they will stop and then change their tracks. So there's a lot of respect for that. And what's amazing about Taiwan is that these um, traditions are still very much alive because compared to the history of colonization in other parts of the world, Taiwan has not been, the indigenous people have not been colonized as long as they have, say, here in the States. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, when I think of Taiwan, I think of Taipei and I think of metropolitan city. Yeah, yeah that's where my brain goes. And, I mean, my family came, it was before the, the government, uh, the national government lost the Civil War, but yeah. we were part of that wave of, like, all right, we're in charge here now. That yeah. Came. And then, so going back to your shaman question, how I even got there was I realized I made um, my parents take the Nat Geo test. And so note for all Asians out there who want to take a DNA test, Nat Geo is the best one because all the other ones will just tell you you're Chinese or Korean or Japanese, <laughs> which does not help. But Nat Geo, I think, like I've done 23andMe and it was not as comprehensive as Nat Geo. And I found out I had indigenous heritage. And um, I didn't know where. And that's an effect of colonization, mm. right? Because you're forced to forget that you have indigenous heritage and you're just brainwashed to think that you're completely Chinese. Um, and then so I stumbled across a shaman and there's not very many left in the Beinanzu. And um, he was training to be a shaman even though he was at least 50, late 50s. Um, and what they do is they split bamboo and they look the at the way the hairs split which directions and they do that for about an hour or two hours until they finally get to the answer and whether or not I actually believe in what he said he said I'm from Jalulan which is a tribe in Taidong and I went there and like hung out in that little village and asked people if they knew of my ancestors but um, I didn't come to any solid conclusions but whether or not that was you know real um, it was still interesting to see that these traditions are still alive, but also a bit scary to see how little main most people in Taiwan knew about it. You know, well, I feel like it's a bigger message of like <clears throat> in general. Yeah, like, I mean, it's yeah. everywhere in the it's world. Everywhere in the I mean, world. I think yeah, think about here in Los Angeles. This is like occupied Tongva territory. That's true. Right. And we've like largely forgotten. And it's not so much. I'm not all about, you know, romanticizing the past. What happened happened and we woke up and here we are. But I think um, there is from an environmental standpoint or a sustainability standpoint, there is value in sort of um, paying respect to what they ate or the traditions they had here, because a lot of those um, were obviously sustainable. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, because that's a completely different... Well, me as the actor and, like, the artist part of me, I feel like from an emotional standpoint and from, like, a heritage standpoint and just kind of, like, a self-identity awareness standpoint, which to me has not been a thing, really. And it's ironic because I've been, like, in the Asian-American space for, like, almost a decade. But, like, really not asking these questions or, frankly, having any true interest to dive deeper than just, like, oh, like, what village do we come from? Yeah. It, 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 it serves you to understand it and, like, to understand, like, again, actor in me, just to, like, understand the traumas that you've, you're right. inheriting and, like, where you really freaking come from and the layers of all of it from bloodlines to traditions to 
you know, I, I just again, I, I've talked about in previous podcasts, but learning about my background coming from North Korea, like yeah. that affects the way that I interpret and understand the world on a really different level now that I've known that for the last, what, four years now? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also wherever you are in the world right now to sort of pay attention to the heritage that is of the physical place where you are. So. Mm-hmm. We're here in L.A. and this used to just be wetlands, right? And it used to be a vibrant source of there's so much food in this area. And once you realize that history, it kind of puts you in your physical place. Because I think in this day and age, we're so caught up in our work and we don't really think about where we are physically. And I think if um, you want to feel like you're a part of something, you start with learning about you know, the geographic and ecology, yeah. ecological history of your physical area. And that's Biology why we're glad. That's why we're glad we have journalists like Clarissa um, teaching us things that we should know that we don't know. Or that we could know. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you were talking about Korea because Korea in historic has also been a very heavily colonized place. Mm-hmm. Like the whole patriarchal Confucian society that came from us, that came from China. Thanks, so, Mark. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I mean, one thing I realized about Asia, the greater Asia area during this travel is that there's no one monolithic identity, right? Like China, Chinese people aren't just Chinese and Koreans aren't just Korean. Back then, people were divided based on their geographic region. And there were Mm -hmm. lots of many different tribes. And from that, you know, they became these countries. And now, you know, you identify as Korean, we identify as Taiwanese or Chinese. But I think... Like realizing like which area your ancestors grew up, mountains, sea, you know, coastal, that you can learn a lot about your history. Yeah. For sure. I learned my family's from an island. We're from an archipelago off the coast of China. Wow. Yeah, it's Osang. Cool. Yeah. So you're an islander. We're, we've always been islanders. Yeah. <laughs> this is why Marvin could also be a football player. You have he has like the like <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Marvin's a giant, he's a big man who can like, I don't know, like even be a linebacker. <laughs> and like people, I probably could have been if my parents would let me play football. Oh, they didn't let you? No. See, culture. I never asked. <laughs> I was in the marching band, Aww. so we were, we were on the other side. <laughs> what did you play again? I played the trombone and the flute. Hey. Clarissa's is like I don't know that line. <laughs> it's all about the food. Yeah. But I like the different ways that, we, the different gateways that we get into diving into those things to mm-hmm. understand it. And then honestly, Marvin's been part of that because he's so like into books and like understanding yeah. these like cultural nuances that I'm very like present slash forward thinking when it comes to that. I'm really good at critiquing K-pop and like <laughs> seeing all the problematic layers of like patriarchy and, you know, XYZ from Korea and how that intermingles with religion and American culture. And, yeah. like well, So that's kind of been my foray into that, but it's cool to dive back and to appreciate different aspects like food and and place and like i don't know we're also educating other people from who are non-californians about the missions and like yeah everything's so layered because well, we had the as people grew up in california we were all forced to learn about the missions and by learning about because the missions used to be mexico that means we built a model <laughs> yeah <laughs> a diorama yeah, yeah. 
that, that is but our it's challenge. interesting why we focused on the missionaries, right? The colonizers and yeah. not the colonized. That's something I've realized yeah. more and more. Yeah. The more I explore indigenous histories yeah. around the world is that we are so focused on the history of the colonizers, but never the colonized. Even, well, I think that's changing right now. True. Even my true. high school was named Gabrolino, which is the name yeah. the Spanish gave the Tongva people, <laughs> not the wow. actual. Yeah. yeah, that area used to be a very prominent Tongva village site. Yeah. St. Gabriel in that area. She's like our Wikipedia. <laughs> I love our encyclopedia. Well, let's talk about your life abroad. Yeah. Um, you've been just... Yeah, so that Tinder been... date, though. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of Tinder dates. <laughs> so, yeah, like... The expat. I mean, Minji is... Um, <laughs> is uh, interested in all things dating, obviously. If you listen to her, I'm interested podcast. in relationships, Marvin. I'm interested in how we interact, connect with people, connect fair, with yeah. people. Yeah. Yes, this, but this was something that I discovered too when I was back in Taiwan um, a couple years ago. I was like, hey, Tinder works here. How'd that go? I uh, never asked you, Marvin. <laughs> um, well, that's how I met like, my I current girlfriend because I matched with her while I was nice. in Taiwan. Wait, you matched with Christine while I was in Taiwan, and she was in LA. Yeah. So okay. Oh, I remember that conversation. So it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Good. it helped that in um, for Coffee Meets Bagel, I still thought I was in LA. Yeah. So it wasn't feeding me. Because on Tinder, actually gives you people in Taiwan. Yeah. And I did match with a couple, but I never went on any dates. It was just interesting. Yeah. I want to know, wait, so the expat, because before we started recording, you were talking about like the expat dating life. Yeah, I mean, so most of my dates, I would say like 90% of them in Taiwan have been through Tinder, because just by the nature you just automatically can find people who are of both worlds. And that's something that's important to me, someone who can relate to both the West and the East because I am so in between. Um, but yeah, da- I dated a lot of expats. Um, nothing serious for any of them. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> If you were fuzzy on where our, what our status was, you got your answer. Yeah, but it's interesting. Um, there's that stereotype in Taiwan of, you, you hear the term LBH, which is, I don't tell most people this, but um, LBH is loser back home. And that's used a lot among, <laughs> teaching you guys the secret. Um, and then there's a stereotype of, you know, the white boy English teacher who's just there to get laid. And that's also called the sex pet. So I I learned a lot of cool terminologies there. But in all honesty, I've met some of my like closest friends on Tinder who are just friends and it's a great way to meet people. Yeah. It's a networking That's what Miji keeps telling me too. I've again I've met like really cool people that you just don't like click with in that way. But you're like you're really an interesting person. I like you know, I like what you're about. You live a cool life. Yeah, I traveled with people I met on Tinder and we didn't have any romantic thing. And I think it's just having, I mean, some people are like, that's so weird. But I think once you, it's a level of maturity and just acceptance. It's a of, different way to broaden your horizons. Well, I mean, exactly. If you like, if you, if you translate into like traditional person to person dating, it's like you're hanging out with a new friend and then maybe something clicks and maybe something exactly. doesn't. But it's not always like, you know, you, the people you meet, you're not always out there looking for people to have sex with. Yeah. Right. Um, a, ca- a caveat, though, in Taiwan, Taipei especially is a big village. So if you're on Tinder long enough, like you will start to like bump into people, your Tinder dates, um, because <laughs> just the expat bar and dance scene or clubbing scene, if you will, is just very small and people go to the same places over and over again. So it's a little bit scary um, if you're a, cinder- a serial Tinderella. 
So <laughs> speaking of scary, my mother hen mode, my mama bear mode is getting it. But like with Tinder or dating or just being an expat in general, like for me as a woman, traveling has come up frequently because I have all these like desires to go all over the world. And if I wanted to do a solo trip, to me, I feel like it's not even really an option, even though I know that it is. But it's just a whole level of safety. Yeah. Feeling like, okay, I need a. How do you. I don't know. Like, how do you how do I deal maintain, with- yeah, feeling safe yeah. and like, um, because we also want to be a resource to provide good advice for our <laughs> listeners. I think I've only used Tinder successfully in Taiwan. I don't really do it anywhere else. Um, in LA, I've done it a couple of times, but it's just not. I get bored because you have to drive everywhere and like, <laughs> or you have to put in effort to meet someone that you've never met in real life here. And in Taiwan, it's so convenient. Then you can just hop on an MRT and you're there. That's true. Don't, um, and don't then, knock the um, the benefits of having great public transit. Oh, of yeah. There's so many things. And yeah. I guess the benefits of being a Taiwanese-American woman is, like, I kind of have an advantage over most of the guys that I'm dating in that I like, speak the language and I can just, like, weasel my way out. And not that I've had to do this, but I just yeah. don't feel unsafe there at all. That's good. I just know that there's, like, I've talked to so many, like, girls about online dating in general and then they you know but I'm always like be safe don't be well Taiwan is the perfect place to do or Taipei is the perfect place to do it because there are CCTVs on every single corner better let your date know that be like you (laughs) on camera buddy from every angle seriously every single see the pores on your face every every single uh, subway station has like a safe zone where it's like this place is covered by a billion cameras stand here that's good to know in the middle of the night that's important to know yeah yeah. So if you're going to go on an Asian Tinder excursion <laughs> for safety purposes, Taipei is a safe place. Tindering through Asia. <laughs> that could be a that could Just, be, that could be that, I can that only could be a TV series. Yeah. Should, I can yeah. only vouch for Taiwan, so don't <laughs> take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> but that's interesting. Like you do find um and I mean, we saw this also with like the whole Logan Paul debacle like like there's still the there's still the like the fetishization of like the white guy in Asia and and that's become a stereotype. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's totally a stereotype. And I think when I first went there it really bothered me cuz I have a lot of friends who are white men, um completely platonic and I was just like you it's so easy for you guys to get girls and they're like yeah, it's really easy for us to get girls. And <laughs> the power imbalance really annoyed me. Um but then I don't know. I got over it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's different experiences. I have a I have a white friend who went to Korea. He went there for eight days and by himself. He just really loves Korean culture, loves the food, so he wanted to explore. But yeah, he tindered it up, and he was just like, "It's yeah, phenomenally easy. It's easy for them." But then I learned to date guys who aren't into that, you know, fetishization of Asian women, and you can tell. I think pretty clearly. Um, if they're just there to get laid. Um, and I tend to like guys who make an effort to try to learn the language and are fluent in Chinese um, mm. or have spent a lot of time trying to assimilate um, as much as they can. Yeah. <laughs> Being, yeah. Yeah. And so I know, and then something that fascinates me that I would like to learn more about, and I probably I want to go to like Korea to talk with my cousins and other women there, but just like the sexual liberal, liberal, what is it? Liberal. Liberation. There you yeah. go. The sexual liberation of a lot of women there who are feeling more empowered to like be pickier, to be independent, to not feel because that's a whole dismantling of the patriarchy that I <laughs> I'm like just watching on the sidelines and I I want to understand more. 
which I, is why I stayed away from K dramas because they were driving me crazy. Picture Minji on the sideline of this like feminist battle with like a full number one finger and like. But yeah, it's it's coming. It's it's like happening in a way that I would never, you know, as an yeah. American would never imagine happening. I mean, I figure female frustration at patriarchy is something that isn't new. Yeah. I think it's always mm. been there. It's just the mindset, right? It's become less about there's nothing we can do about it to like, wait, there's something we can do about this. Hence the low yeah. birth rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Taiwan has the lowest birth rate of any country in the world, but except for Japan, but Taiwan isn't um, considered a country, which is why it's not in the official records. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. I love how we went from indigenous people and knowing to birth. To this. Right. this is great. How many this is such a sex. like I'm such an educa- It's like great educational <laughs> conversation. Well, let's um. I mean, we can loop back to stuff you've worked on last the last year. I mean, what were some like interesting stories that you've found that you want to share with our listeners? Um, I mean, my mind's still on indigenous issues in Taiwan because <laughs> I just got back from there. Um, and I, yeah, um. This woman, Lily, again, um, she's going in and researching a lot of these plants. And what was really cool, so um, I think a lot of people, also people from Southeast Asia, know of the beetle nut, or it's called yeah, the areca nut. The, 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 yeah, so it's the a, petal, a petal? nut of yeah. a palm that you chew, but they wrap a leaf called the beetle leaf around. And the beetle leaf is found everywhere from like India to Southeast Asia to Taiwan. And most people just kind of use a leaf as a flavoring agent, but they... In Taiwan, like in this tribe, you can put it in soup and in dumplings. So really? it was really interesting because I was like assisting in cooking workshops, teaching Taiwanese people how to like use this, and everyone was surprised that you can eat it in my, a way that's yeah. not just chewing beetle nut. My experience with beetle nuts is like there's like these kiosks where the girls are dressed in bikinis and they sell it to people who drive through. Yeah, so and so it's yeah. like a really sacred, and- <laughs> you know, substance yeah. too. Sold um, by bikini girls. Yeah, like because normally, yeah, it's like, like the Hooters. Of- typically, yeah, typically, <laughs> like normal people typically eat it kind of like chewing tobacco. They like put it in their mouth, they chew it, they suck on it, and they spit it out. Interesting. Yeah. I want to know what this looks like. Googling. <laughs> B e t e l. Yeah. Nut. B e t e l. Oh. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh whoa. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's just. I don't know where that come, came from, the whole. Um, I don't. Well, it does have st- stimulating properties, so I think it was just a way to sell it. Um, but again, that was something that I learned this trip is that you have to sort of go back to the history of food or why certain things came to be to yeah. really get to the core. That's interesting. Yeah, I, like I've never been on the eastern side of Taiwan. I've always thought about taking like a tour or a trip, but it's just. I don't drive out there, so you can take the train. I don't drive in Taiwan. <laughs> I want to drive everywhere mm. as a challenge. One of my not dreams, maybe nightmares, but a thought that came into my mind was like driving through Ho Chi Minh City. Remember oh. that video that they do the aerial shot of like all of yeah, Asia's frightening. But I was like, oh, I want to try it. Yeah, I don't know. Like there are certain countries I definitely don't want to drive in. Number one, China because um, I don't have the stomach for that. Everyone just drives crazy and parks wherever they want. And India, I've seen too many yeah. like crazy videos of Indian drivers. Yeah, I've actually been there, and it's. <laughs> but that's kind of like the Ho Chi Minh City. Yeah. Effect. <laughs> it's. I don't know. If I was like, I want to try an it. adventure. Yeah, I was like, let's do it. So, what have you missed the most being out there? Of like, 
um, uh, Mexican food. <laughs> yeah, we found like a true Angelino. Uh, my friend and I found like, one good Mexican restaurant, and I was almost in tears. I'm not exaggerating. Um, and I was I've only been gone for like three and a half months. It wasn't that extreme. Um, but yeah, like Mexican food is something that Taipei really struggles with. So whenever a new place opens up, everyone knows about it, or all the yeah. you know expats know about it, which is kind of sad. But um, like the Mexican food there is still closer to Chipotle than like yeah yeah. Food. But this um, one place that we found next to Dan Park, I forgot the name, but it was really good and awesome. tasted exactly like the stuff we get here in LA. One thing I was surprised, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, is there's a lot of Italian places in Taiwan. Like, yeah, so that's another thing that sort of irks me, the fetishization of like French and Italian food, especially French culture in Taiwan. Um, when I was sort of researching the food scene there two years ago, there are more you know, coffee shops than tea shops. Now there are more, a lot of the pastry chefs have trained in France. Um, mm. And it's this, it just feels like, again, another branch of los angeles um in taipei but again that's to no one's fault i think it's more of an issue of what people value um and i just yeah i hope the titles will turn and people will start to appreciate their own culture and their own yeah. heritage i feel like that's kind of what's been happening here too like like a lot of people grew up grow, have grown up Assuming that Asian food is inferior to Western food. Well, now, the reverse is yeah, happening. Yeah, the, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, the reverse yeah. is happening here in LA. I think um, Mexican, Asian, Korean, Chinese, Japanese food is becoming big. And then we're always using that word authentic, um, even <laughs> though I don't really like that word. <laughs> oh, that just. <laughs> <laughs> It just you've, sparked. You've triggered something. You, <laughs> oh, you totally triggered. Okay, Brad from Bon Appetit. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. and your kimchi can kiss my ass. Okay, because no. Did you watch that video? Yet? Oh my god, I saw Jenny Yang's video. Yeah, and yeah. It was like I was ripping my hair out pretty much. Just like no, that looked like soupy. I don't know what right. that was, but that was not. So it's kimchi. weird. Like over here, we're in the pursuit of authenticity, but in Asia, they're in their pursuit of fusion. Oh yeah, totally. When I go to Korea, it's like. <laughs> but it's fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> the food is i think it's just great to see how food is so definitive of like culture and it says a lot on its own yeah of yeah. like what people's ideals you. are what yeah they want to be for sure but suck it bread no <laughs> <laughs> how, have you made kimchi before minji i've watched my mom make it a lot my brothers help her more than i do i need to learn but i also know the process enough to know that what he was doing i was like no no, no, <laughs> it was no, no. so our, our friend jenny yang um made a video in response to a Bon Appetit video. Another one. A dude named Brad taught people how to make kimchi. And he, did, he, did he ever say it was from Korea? Or did he say, I'm going to make kimchi? She's saying it's a Korean dish. And yeah. Like, yeah. And they, she, he, um, she brought on mother-daughter pairs to watch this guy. And it was super cute to watch like the ajima shade that was going on. But they, they were so like nice about it too. Yeah. Well, like the one mom, she's anyway. It was just no. <laughs> you guys check it out. Um, but yeah, like this idea, of, and I, I do agree. Like, yeah, like now the conversation here is about authenticity, and it's become kind of weaponized, right? Like people mm. use authentic as a, way, as a way to put down things that they don't think is authentic. Yeah. And I think I we should we should stop using that word. We should stop using the word ethnic as well. <laughs> it's authentic Asian food. Yeah. yeah, or authentic ethnic food, if you will. That bothers <laughs> mm -hmm. me. What was what would be the preferred way to talk about it? 
just like I, I guess just this is this this is this type of food from this type of place yeah um or this how i this is like um i, I was like what is authenticity the other month before i went to taiwan i interviewed the um ceo's daughter um of panda express right and she's a vice president of panda and she was born and raised in the SGV. You know, their head chef like went to um, Temple City High School, <laughs> and you're t- and they go to China all the time to do research trips. Are you saying that their food is not more authentic than you know the guy pulling binji noodles across the street? I think that's not fair. I think it just comes down to like Clarissa said. Making the history more apparent, like, you know, are they family recipes? Where they come from? Where did inspiration come from? And from there, everything comes from like an quote unquote authentic place. In that case, yeah. And just a, a last note, like, why I am against the word authentic because it pegs one person's food as better, yeah, than another person's, and that yeah. just it's like not fair to me. Minji's family recipe for bulgogi is just as good as another family's recipe, but they may be different. Yeah. Although Minji's probably better, right? I don't know. I have like, I've just had some really good I just don't know how they made it. I don't know the process. And on that note, that'll do it for this episode of the Collabcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Clarissa. Yeah, of course. If people want to find more of your work, where can they go? On my website, which is clarissaway.com. Awesome. Yes. And as always you can catch the Collabcast by as always, you can reach us at the Collabcast by emailing us at podcast at collaboration.org. Subscribe to us on Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, um, or your preferred method of listening to podcasts. Uh, we're on Spotify. Check us out there if you want. Also, Subscribe please share if you have a friend who's a foodie or who cares about <laughs> Asian America. Again, putting my intentions down in the universe. Yeah. Share. Spread the word. And... Yeah, um, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Collabcast. Thank you for joining us as we kick off our fourth year of Collabcasting. Thank you, Clarissa, for joining us. And kicking off our senior year. Yeah. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Let me go down in a glory. What doesn't kill you, it gives you a story. What doesn't kill you, it buys if you friends for the night. You can deal with it 